0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, Praise you, Lord Christ. As I told you last week, for a few weeks in a row now, in our gospel read, we're spending some time with some selected excerpts from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and which in Matthew's gospel functions as kind of Jesus' inaugural address in which he sounds some of the big picture themes which then cast some of the big picture vision of what he envisions when he proclaims the arrival of what he calls the Kingdom of Heaven, not just in Heaven someday but also alive and at work in the world in him and in his followers too, even here and now today. Listening to the Sermon on the Mount, and taking it at all seriously, if you dare, I told you last week, you cannot not see that what is truly great and powerful in the ways and means of the Kingdom of Heaven is again and again the flat-out, exact, upside-down, 100% opposite of what passes for greatness and power when it comes to the ways and means of the kings and the kingdoms of this world, which we saw right out of the gate last week when we heard what are known as the Beatitudes, in which Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount by announcing in the Kingdom of Heaven the blessings and favor of God upon the humble, the gentle, the hungry, the merciful, the grieving, the poor, the pure of heart, the persecuted. I think I just need to be as clear as I can be here. When Jesus defines greatness and power, he charts a straight on collision course with the ways and means of those whose ego and fear driven actions and rhetoric define most of the contents of our newsfeeds, which I think explain why I anyway, when I pray as I do, God bless America. I so often find myself in colliding opposition to many of the powerful in our America, who seem to routinely end their speeches with those same three words, God bless America. But it seems also clear that what they think that would look like and what I think that would look like look almost nothing like each other. Today's excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount comes immediately after the Beatitudes, but rather than jumping immediately now into them, I want to jump into them via the Old Testament reading for today in which the prophet Isaiah addresses the residents of a nation who literally had been praying, God bless us, but who were now complaining that it didn't seem to be happening. At which point the prophet Isaiah did what the Old Testament prophets did do over and over again, and that is to open his mouth, to address the nation beginning with these words. These are prophet words. Thus says the Lord. The Old Testament prophets were people who said that their words were not their words. but They were rather words that God somehow, but clearly had given to them to give to others, which made. You know, kind of sound like a good gig if you could get it, I suppose. Except it's hard to find any prophets at all who uh, at some point or another don't say they would have just as well preferred not to land the gig. Because again and again, God gave them messages to speak that were messages people did not want to hear. And people being people, they had a way of taking it out on the messenger. Here is Eugene Peterson's The Message Bible translation of our Old Testament reading for today in which the prophet Isaiah says that this is what God said to him regarding the people of Israel, in Jerusalem specifically, who had been praying for God to bless them. Shout! A full-throated shout hold nothing back a trumpet blast shout tell my people what's wrong with their lives face my family Jacob with their sins you know so it's not terribly hard to understand why people sometimes didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say right God is love for sure But oftentimes, via the prophets, that love was confrontational, in your face, tough love. Which is the case here, as Isaiah begins by telling that God didn't just tell him to talk about, but to shout about God's people's sins. What sins? Well, here we go, as per Isaiah 58, 2-9 from the Message translation. They're busy, busy, busy at worship. They love studying all about me. To all appearances, They're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? They love having me on their side. They also complain, why do we fast and worship, and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves, and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard, you fast, At the same time you bicker and fight, you fast, but you swing a mean fist, the kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after, a day to show off being humble? To put on a long, pious face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once then when you pray God will answer you'll call out for help and I'll say here I am what was God's problem with God's people according to Isaiah the prophet they went to worship but they didn't go to worship they went to be seen worshiping They acted the part of people who delighted in God and God's world, but good luck trying to find any way whatsoever in which in their daily lives they actually lived according to the desires of God's word. They prayed, loved to pray, loved to be seen praying, loved to attend public prayer breakfasts, but their prayers were all about requests for God to bless and help them. And they complained that God didn't answer their prayers. God isaiah said would answer their prayers when they started the praying the prayers that god prayed they would pray prayers that say things like for example grateful god thankful for the blessings you've already blessed me with show me how i generously can be a blessing to others what was god's beef with god's people according to isaiah the prophet they wanted god to be just one more part of their own personal plan to rise above and beyond and richer than and greater than others while God wanted them to be part of God's plan to reach out with great kindness and compassion and care for others, especially those whose needs were great. Which takes us to Jesus and the next portion of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus doesn't say something that, it's amazing how many people think Jesus said this. We come to the next portion of the, service, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus doesn't say what people think he says when it comes to the Old Testament and its strong rules and for the, the strong words and laws that come from the prophets as well. People think Jesus said, you know what, those Old Testament people were way too strict. But not me. I mean, I'm, I'm really not a rules kind of guy. I am a grace kind of guy. Um, I just want you to know that God loves you to pieces. So Old Testament laws? nah, you know. I mean, you can do your best, but don't really worry about it. Absolutely not something Jesus ever said. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill For truly i tell you until heaven and earth pass away not one letter not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished i tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. By the way, if you peek ahead, if you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, you will see him continue to develop this exact theme until he gets near the end of Matthew 5 verse 48 when he sums it all up, he says this, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How's that perfect thing going for you? Yeah, me too. A big big picture thought about the Sermon on the Mount. In it, Jesus doesn't throw out the Bible's laws. He does the opposite. He ramps them up. He raises the bar and then he opens the gate and he turns them loose. And ramped up and turned loose like that, they will not say to anyone, wow, look at you. That's what I'm talking about. You are so much religiously, righteously better than, I mean, because look at that guy compared to you. What a loser. Uh-uh. You, want, you want to feel all righteously and religiously good and better than others? Um, don't be going to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, go to the scribes and Pharisees. They're really good at that game and they love playing that game and they will play it with you. Jesus on the other hand, remember, isn't talking about the righteousness achieved by religious people doing all kinds of religious things. He's talking about the righteousness of the Kingdom of Heaven which as it turns out is finally the righteousness of God,
1: which by definition,
0: God being God, is righteousness which is perfect in its righteousness which sorry Mr. Scribe and Pharisee and Mr. and Ms. Holier than Thou, perfect righteousness is only going to be known by imperfect you, the same way it can be known by any other sinner in the world, and that is by grace, through faith, in a savior, who is righteous with perfect righteousness for you and who offers heaven and its kingdom to you as a gift, a gift paid for by the doing and the dying that he did for you. It's a big picture thought from the Sermon on the Mount which you will need To bear in mind, if you are indeed taking up the suggestion to read the Sermon on the Mount one or two or three times while we're kind of reflecting on them, Jesus does not abolish the righteousness of God's demands. Jesus, rather, is the only human in the history of ever who is righteous with the perfection of righteousness that a kingdom that is truly heaven's kingdom can't but demand and perfect righteousness is his gift by grace through faith for you. That said, here's a second thing that's just almost as big a big picture thought about the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, Jesus will make clear that you won't, you can't get to heaven by doing enough good things to earn your way there because you're better than other people but he will also clearly, clearly, clearly not say something that therefore being that God's rules, God's laws and the things you do therefore don't matter. That's the theme Jesus introduced with these words in the reading today. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, it's no longer good for anything. You're the light of the world. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You, Jesus says, you who are my followers, you who know the love and the mercy and the free gifts of grace that I came to bring and to be, You are, I made you this. You are salt of the earth and light for the world, so go, do, be in the world what I made you to be. Jesus here, you can hear this, albeit without shouting, is very clearly saying the same clear thing the prophet Isaiah came shouting this morning, and that is that all of this you and God and love stuff was never meant to be about just you and God and love, but about you being God's love, which is love not just for you, but for all and especially for all and for any who really could use some loving right now. For in his words, you are, you are the salt of the earth. Salt in Jesus' time was known as a preservative. It kept things from going bad also as a seasoning, flavored things, made them taste better. You, Jesus said, you who know me and my love for you are called to be the seasoning of my love, sprinkled on the world, to preserve and flavor it like only my love can. And he says you're the light of the world, and light, he goes on to say, is serving no good purpose whatsoever if it's hidden away where no one can see it. So, he says, let your light so shine that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father in heaven. Well, that last part got me thinking. Thinking about the fact that though light is something that can be seen in the dark, the primary purpose of light is not so that the light itself can be seen, right? The primary purpose of light is that it helps people to see, right? Which is a distinction, I think, sometimes, oftentimes religious. People forget when they go out into the world to shine so that people can see and praise me for the brightness of my light. Notice Jesus doesn't say go shine in the dark so that people can see and praise you because they can see how good you are. No, he says go shine in the world with the light I gave you the light I gave you to the world to be. So that seeing your light. All might give glory to your father in heaven. And know and see. How loved by God. Sinners are. That got me thinking. When we moved into our house. In North Liberty. We thought the kitchen counters especially. The kitchen in general. But the countertops were too dark. So we installed some Lights under the, uh, the upper cabinets and you really um, without specifically bending down to, to see, you really, you really um, can't even see those lights but they sure do make it easier to see. I want to imagine that Jesus in these words sending us into the world to be that kind of light He's sending us to be that kind of under cabinet lighting. He's the cabinet, by the way. Light which doesn't draw attention to itself in order to be seen, but light which nevertheless makes such a difference because it helps people see. And above all, what it helps them see is Jesus and he and his Father's love and loving and desires for the world. You are the light of the world. Amen.